1: I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome the chairman and the executive director of the Renew Democracy Initiative, World Chess Champion, Gary Kasparov, and Uriel Epstein. Welcome to you both. Gary, when did you really come to understand the threat of authoritarianism in this, in this millennium as a global phenomenon, not specific to Putin and now not specific to Trump? but as a worldwide phenomenon?
2: Look, you don't have to be a, a strong chess player to analyze the trends in global politics. And uh, I uh, had also my experience growing up in the Soviet Union and living in Putin's Russia. So all the signs were on the wall, and uh, the Putin's ascent to power, uh, and, and the uh, reverse of the trend of the 90s when many countries decided to follow America and Europe um, in exchange for more authoritarian uh, and and more strict form of uh governance uh it's you know it was a clear indication that something went wrong, and uh, I've been warning for many years that uh authoritarian regimes dictatorships they they never then satisfied with the control of their own justify their rule. To, to explain why economy is not working and the domestic policies are no longer satisfactory for the majority of the population, they always look outside and they try to expand our, our influence. That's why I believe that nobody was safe, even the United States, the way Putin handled Russia and the neighboring countries with his um, hybrid wars and disinformation campaign uh, was a clear demonstration that one day, he would try to use the same technique, the same te- uh, the same. Uh, Um, mechanisms of of fake news to attack uh, Europe and the United States. And and just one follow-up, Gary,
1: do you want to warn Americans, having had the experience of the Soviet Union and and now Russia under Putin, that if you think that Donald Trump may just be a fleeting single-term president, um, you, you may well be wrong because there was a perception I guess I should ask you, was there a perception in Russia that, that Putin would um, succeed in, in, the, in the normal sort of democratic succession? Was there, was there the fear from the beginning that he would become the, the lifelong president-dictator tyrant? Uh, or you know, during his first term, was there some belief that it wasn't going to turn in that direction?
2: Unfortunately, many people thought that Putin would not be forever. And uh, people like me, we were just, there were few of us uh, who were literally shouting in the desert, pointing out that Putin's KGB background and some of his statements, uh, even before he took over, when he talked about the uh, KGB officer, it's, uh, it's, it's always a KGB officer, about uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union as the greatest a geopolitical disaster of the 20th century. His first action as a president of restoring Soviet anthem. Um, so, my, my message to Americans after November 2016 was very simple uh, Yes, your democracy, American democracy, is very strong. It's based on 200 years of experience, more than 200 years, and institutions uh, that guaranteed uh, the balance of power. But it's one man in the Oval Office could do a lot to damage it and don't take it for granted. And we could see that that's in the first three and a half years of, of um, uh, his presidency, Donald Trump succeeded in, in destroying so many pillars of American democracy uh, and basically you know, uh, forcing some of the key institutions to work for him personally. So it's not surprising that he talks about loyalty to him, loyalty to, uh, to the president rather than to, uh, the loyalty to the to the constitution, and let's remember, he has been doing it, uh, you know, in, in in his first term, hopefully the last one. So facing re-elections now, imagine what kind of damage he can he can do if he no longer if he if he doesn't doesn't care anymore about re-election. But uh, also, what bothers me that is that it's Trump demonstrated that so many American um, the um, institutions they based uh, they based their existence and their stability. On, on custom, on honor, on traditions. And Donald Trump's response is very simple, sue me. If it's not, you know, if, if it's not in the books, if it's not you know, the, uh, the uh, um, letter of law, I don't care about the spirit of law. So there's so much work to be done to make sure that the conditions that made Donald, Donald Trump and his presidency possible will be eradicated to prevent another Donald Trump who could be younger, less corrupt, uh, so more articulate, to to ascend. Uriel, at the Renew Democracy Initiative, how are you combating those conditions?
0: Well, look, the the tagline that, that Gary and I and the rest of the board have discussed for RDI is that the goal for us is to become a home for the politically homeless. The fact of the matter is, this isn't about one man. This isn't about one political party. This is about a trend in the United States and around the world that pits different tribes against one another, where people's political decision-making is no longer based on actual policy arguments, but rather based on their personal senses of identity. And as a result, you have a number of different bad actors from any number of different political corners taking advantage of that and uh, utilizing that uh, in order to pit people against one another. And so take the multimedia space online the commentators the speakers the uh video editors you know the 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 instagram influencers whatever the ones who are getting the most uh views are the ones who are kind of promoting the most radical possible story they're the ones who are trying to I- I- encourage induce a sense of rage in their fo- in their followers and so what rdi is trying to do in order to combat that is we want to create a space uh, specifically online, but but you know broader than that as well, uh, where people from diverse political backgrounds can feel comfortable coming together and working towards a more moderate view of the future, so the way that we see ourselves doing that is by creating exciting creative content that 's engaging that doesn 't feel boring, that feels new but isn 't doing that at the expense of of reasonableness. So in other words, we want to create an exciting online platform for reasonable people. The problem though,
1: <clears throat> the problem, Ariel and Gary, and, and I'll direct this to you, Ariel, first and then ask Gary to expound is political diversity now includes tolerance for autocracy. And mm. that is the defining attribute of Trumpism. I I don't want to speak to to Boris Johnson or other particular figures who have different degrees of demagoguery, so we'll just speak from the American experience. I think Gary would testify to that in Russia in a different context. But I I think that increasingly in this country, there is a defense of of political diversity that includes, um, I'm conservative under Trump, Trump and that means I adhere to his autocratic vision. So my political diversity is representative government by autocracy in of course an electoral college system that denies the popular will. But but how do you get at that? The fact that political diversity now is including people who are swearing an oath to autocratic
0: behavior. See, I think that's that Since the end of the Cold War, the United States has, you know, we did a victory lap in the 90s. And while we were doing that victory lap, we failed to begin the hard work of reprioritizing, re-litigating, re-emphasizing the importance of what we would consider classical liberal democratic principles. Now, again, right, liberal democratic principles have nothing to do with liberal in the, the, the sense of today of being on the left, but rather liberal in the sense of John Locke liberal in the sense of believing in separation of powers, free speech, and these core principles that have underpinned uh, both American democracy and democracies around the world for the last 200 years. And the way that I see us combating this trend of, of people being more accepting of autocracy is really in two different ways. The first is we need to actively, aggressively, and creatively Um, articulate why core liberal democratic principles, why American principles matter, and how they relate to people's lives. So in other words, this isn't about, um, you know, just doing what's right for other people. It's about what's doing right, doing what's right for yourself and your family. And if people can't see why these principles are important to themselves, they're not going to prioritize them. And so it's our job to show everyone why these principles matter to them. But Secondly, yeah. we want, yeah. I was just going to, on
1: that note, Gary, how, how do you think that, what has been the template by which some governments have emulated the Putin experience? And h- how do you undo the, the damage? Um, have they been using Putin as the playbook or something else? It,
2: I wouldn't say Putin as a playbook because Russian democracy was very feeble and we had little experience with democracy. And that's why it was not that difficult for Putin to pop all these uh, weak democratic institutions and to establish uh, his personal cult. Uh, so uh, the country that you know, um, could be used as, the, as a sample uh, um, to, to the United States, I would pick up Hungary. It's a democracy, it's a member of European Union, and still, you know, the country's democratic institutions couldn't resist the pressure from Viktor Orban, elected prime minister who consolidated power and now uh, using uh, uh, pandemics, concentrated enormous power in his hands. And uh, from what I know about authoritarian regimes, I don't expect him to give his power back when, when uh, um, pandemics is over. So another example is Turkey. Uh, though democracy there was not as stable as in as in other European countries, but still the, the the way Erdogan built his his personal dictatorship, it's also you know quite a message because Turkey, let's not forget, is a member of NATO. So uh, and now um, Erdogan's Turkey is is no not so different from from Putin's Russia. So we just have to recognize that even established democratic institutions don't guarantee. Um, uh, success uh, um, uh, of um, of a normal democratic process unless people recognize the importance of that. And um, the growing uh, tribalism in American politics helped Trump dramatically to consolidate his base of support. And that's what what we believe is is one of the most important uh, roles of RDI to actually move politics back to to, as to the center where people debate the issues. They, they agree, they disagree, but it's about issues. It's not about I belong to, 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 to this tribe. It's you know we should, we should go back to normal politics and, and not to not act like a, like a football or baseball fans. This is my team and I stick with this no matter what.
0: And if I could well, just add to that, yes. um, Really, really quickly. I mean, that brings us that that brings us to the second uh, key way to combat this kind of growing autocracy. So first, let me be clear. RDI we're a five hundred one C three, which means that we are a nonpartisan nonprofit. We uh, and, and we fundamentally don't believe that this is an issue that is just entirely endemic to one side or another. This is something that it can potentially infect. The left can infect the right. I mean, we, see it, we saw it happen in Venezuela with the fall of democracy there to the left. We saw it happen in Hungary with the fall of democracy to the right. But what's important is that we offer a space for people who right now are not represented by the more extreme elements of society. So the way that you combat autocracy is you empower the people who don't believe in it. Gary
1: said something really critical too, I think, which is agreeing to disagree. But in those coalitions, you don't want have you don't want to tolerate agreement with autocracy, and that's where I go back to the the rub of this, and, and that is building a coalition. Is it possible to build a coalition with folks who accept and practice authoritarianism as their governing? philosophy or their political strategy. There can't really be that kind of melting pot or
0: compromise that you're envisioning if that's part of the equation, right? Keep in mind that the majority of Americans don't believe in that, right? When when we look at surveys uh, that have been conducted over the last decade or so, uh, even with sort of the rise in autocracy around the world in the last few years, you still have the majority of American citizens who disagree with tenets of autocracy, and in fact, a supermajority of Americans who fundamentally, uh, you know, there's this organization called More in Common, which did a survey, and they found that a majority of Americans fall into a group that they would call the exhausted majority. So these are people who may well uh, affiliate themselves with Democrats or Republicans, but when push comes to shove, they are not overwhelmingly extreme or overwhelmingly tribal in in their identification. They are people that can reason with, right? There are people that, that can disagree with one another. And so to your point, if someone believes that liberal democracy has run its course, and it's not something that matters to us anymore, then that's probably someone who would not be interested in working with us.
1: Right. And I'm not talking about the citizens. I'm talking about elected officials, namely Republicans, who share a lot of culpability with the, um, Acceptance of and the emboldening of autocratic behavior from from Trump. So, in order to kind of cleanse that, if you will, you 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 have to get back to a point where the the United States Senate is not um, just uh, un, unwilling to perform its 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 function in a in a separation of powers in a three party system where there is independence and courage. And Gary, in effect the United States Senate is operating as a one party institution so long as it is just beholden to Donald Trump. Uh,
2: Yes, but you know, it's this, uh, while speaking about the very negative role played by the uh, US Senate under Mitch McConnell and and Republicans in the last few years, when they ignored or actually refused to perform their duties uh, under the constitution to curb the excesses of executive office, um, so let's not forget that the filibuster rule have been you know, abolished by Democrats. So that's the, the, the trends of, of pushing more power to executive office has not started with Trump. Trump benefited from that. It's very important for us to reverse the trend that unfortunately after the end of the Cold War, um, you know, had been um, used excessively both by Democrats and Republicans. And it's very important that we believe is actually to find a new, um, a, um, uh, a new, um, um common ground political common ground for americans in the right in the left those who agree on some basic principles and also we should recognize that while we want to keep the foundation that left for us by founding fathers now more than 200 years ago it's a 21st century and we have to make sure that our you know uh, our democracy will be renovated to be adjusted to the challenges of the 21st century and we should also learn a lot from trump uh, and from previous administrations to understand how we keep this this very subtle balance of power. Because with all this new technology that, that uh, allow government to follow us, to spy on us, to collect data on us, the role of executive office keeps growing. And we should be very you know, creative to make sure that the legislation and also the, uh, the judiciary will will guarantee the full protection of our rights. But this is a debate we must have instead of cheering for our candidate against another candidate. And as you pointed out, we have few people, less than on the right, but still few people on the left that also uh, do not believe in representative democracy and uh, they don't believe in capitalism. And it's very important to make sure that uh, the the, the people who are challenging the two pillars of American society, free market and liberal democracy, these people will not have the final say in the political agenda. And so long as we're and just to add,
0: just to add to what Gary just said, so long as we're divided into these two camps, where it's either one or the other, and if one wins, the other necessarily loses, thereby setting up an absolutely zero-sum game that doesn't allow for compromise, we're setting ourselves up for failure. So the best way to combat sort of what you're, what you're describing, and, uh, you know, the the possibility that that elected officials could become and to some extent have become both emboldened and um, adherence of uh, a more authoritarian vision of American politics, the way to combat that is to move beyond this uh, zero-sum, either you win or I win, but we can't both win situation. And the best way to do that at this point, we believe is we need to try to start uniting people and making people recognize that the political coalitions of yesterday are not necessarily the ones that are going to survive until tomorrow.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, just adding to what you said, you know, um, it just, it reminded me of the first televised debates in this country between uh, Nixon and Kennedy. Uh, you know, I wish people could actually, you know, watch it again because the way it has been handled, uh, it's just, it's, it's unheard by today's standards. It's a tons of respect for, for, for the opposite candidate, uh, uh, senator, vice president. But what was important in these debates, they debated uh, so that their vision for the future, but not, you know, the, not the goals. It's they, they agreed on what they want to achieve for America. They argued about the ways to do that. So about means. So that was very important. The the country had it's not just the center. The country had a gravitas, you know, from both political parties that guaranteed that you know extremists on either side couldn't have their say. Gar- it's just absolutely Gary, and,
1: and I mean honestly, I don't think you have to go far as far back as 1960. I think you can go back to 2008 when John McCain and Barack Obama were running, and there was a fidelity to to patriotism. But
2: under guarding that, yeah go ahead. yeah,, yeah, but that, you said patriotism, I want to use another word decency, decency. you know this is, I think this is, this is what has been lost completely because you can like John McCain, dislike John McCain. you could like Obama or dislike Obama, but nobody can argue about decency, so let's that's, that's what has been lost completely, and that's what what's trump what that was trump's goal, and I, I have to say. He succeeded by by uh, normalizing abnormal. So, mm-hmm. so many things that we believe were impossible in American politics, in terms of language and action, it has been normalized under Trump. And I, I think that is in 2016 elections, the uh, Trump's political style has been normalized. And the greatest danger uh, of the 2020 elections that if Trump is reelected, his political methods will be normalized, and that sure. could be that could be a uh, a, a, a deadly blow to American democracy. Right. And
1: Uriel, I know one of the facets of the Renew Democracy Initiative is to target this online. What do you find to be the most um, pernicious um, pernicious
0: exploitation and amplification of the
1: tactics that that Gary
0: mentions? So yeah, I mean that's uh, that's a great question, um, and you know, I, Gary and I we we talk about this a lot, and and I'm always torn whether to specifically reference people, individuals, organizations, and thereby give them more attention in order to combat what they're saying, uh, or whether to ignore them and and kind of try to plow ahead. And the the problem is, if, unfortunately, I, I, we have to mention, uh, we have to talk about some of the things that. Uh, that other organizations and individuals are doing in order to take advantage of people's frustrations. And so the example that I'll give, the most pernicious way that this is leveraged is through individuals and organizations like Candace Owens, organizations like Prager University. What these groups do is they take issues that are already controversial, and then they espouse the most controversial, the most aggressive, the most uh, kind of far-reaching argument they possibly can in order to get people like us and people like me to respond to them. So for them, whether we respond negatively or positively, it doesn't matter because attention is good for its own sake. And that brings me to sort of, you know, a little bit more of an underlying point here, which is insincerity. You know, I won't won't name specific names here, but I have a number of former classmates of mine from college that I see in the news day in and day out espousing uh, God knows what, which I know for a fact they don't believe, because I was with them, you know, uh, you know, in the Yale College Conservatives or, or whatever else, and I know that they don't believe some of these things. But they saw an opportunity to become rich and famous, and they took it. And so insincerity in commentators online and on TV, I think, is probably one of the single most dangerous trends that we've been seeing in there. And what they're doing is is they're leveraging kind of people's natural tendency to reflect upon, to respond to, and to then promote um, the most kind of uh, aggressive uh, take that exists online. In the
1: seconds we have left, I just want you to maybe give our listeners and viewers hope. Uh, We really just have a minute left. Uh, How much worse... Will it get before it gets better? Bradley Whitford said in a commencement address recently, we have to make our democracy every damn day. Um, we have to protect it. We have to, we have to make it possible. Um, do you see the light at the end of the tunnel, Gary, in the closing seconds we have?
2: There's only one solution. It's active participation of citizens in democracy. Uh, nearly 100 million Americans did not vote in 2016. So uh, it's very important that people recognize that no one can save them but themselves. And, uh, uh, and this, is the, this is our only response. Uh, I'm an optimist, incorrigible optimist by nature, and, uh, and I think American democracy will be saved, but only by the active participation, active um, um, spirit of American citizens.
1: Uriel Epstein, Gary Kasparov, the executive director and chair of the Renew Democracy Initiative. Thank you so much for
2: joining me today. Thank, Thank you. Thank and why do
1: Please visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash Open Mind to view this program online or to access over 1,500 other interviews. And do check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Open Mind TV for updates on future programming.